Well, hey guys, what's happening? Thanks for joining us. Welcome back to the show. This is, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll call it a movie extravaganza show. I don't know. We do movies. We talk about them. Uh, we love movies and we love to talk about them. So we pick a new movie every week. We try to find some movie that has some eh, some significance in pop culture or some historical or social significance or, I don't know, sometimes we do The Phantom with Billy Zane like we did last week. That was a blast. But tonight's is going to be way more serious. No fun will be had tonight. All be- serious faces. All serious faces. I'm frowning right now. Hey, Ben is, because we're going to be talking about a scary movie. Well, Ooh. it's left up to you whether or not you're scared or not. Um, it's my turn to choose a movie, and I chose this little Netflix hipster indie horror movie as I'm inventing a new subset of uh, horror genre. Um, it's streaming on Netflix. It did not get a theatrical release. Very small, small little film. And, uh, stay tuned and I'll tell you what it is. No, I'll tell you now. It's called They Look Like People. This is Movie Show Theater. Ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? What we've got here is... Failure to communicate. Open the five bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. What do you want? You want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it and pull it down. What's your favorite scary movie? You ever seen a grown man naked? Okay. Now, blobby, bottle of cheap, stinking chip oil! You warthog faced. Half witted. So you're listening to 90.7 Community Radio. We do this every Tuesday. Uh, Today's movie was my choice. And uh, I chose this movie called They Look Like People. And when you watch it, I I like to to notice the, the credits. I have a really hard time finding a good movie to watch on Netflix for starters. I'll have like, it'll be a night that Anna works till 10 and I'll have all my stuff done and I'm like ready to play at seven o'clock. So I'm like, Oh, excellent. Perfect time for a movie. I've been going through a horror kick lately and there's a lot of garbage on Netflix. And yeah. Ben does. You have to sift called, through it. Yeah, totally. And I hate to get half an hour into a movie and you're like, God, this sucks. But I'm a little bit invested. I want to know how it, how it ends because I have a hard time like not finishing a movie once I start it. So, But anyway, there's a whole bunch of websites. There's one, um, I'll link to it in the show notes, but it's this, it's, it's dedicated to Netflix, but they ask you one question. They'll say, have you had a good day or a bad day? And you say, good day. And then they'll ask you another question. Are you in the mood to laugh or are you in the mood to think? And then they'll ask you another, there's like five questions. And then after the fifth question, they'll give you like three movies. It's not always totally accurate, but I have a hard time filtering through movies to watch on Netflix. Because there are just so many choices. I mean, you have rows and then you're scrolling left to right in those rows. So it can be a little bit overwhelming if you don't really have a clear idea of what it is that you want to watch because... Well, let's face it, I, I mentioned it last week with The Phantom, but 
even the star ratings that are supposed to be customized for you aren't always right because it gave, for me, the Phantom two stars, which I would have probably given it three for my enjoyability of the film, for They Look Like People, Netflix gave it a one and a half for me, which I don't think is the case. I would not have rated it that low at all. Yeah. And I think, too, on some of the other uh, rating sites like Rotten Tomatoes, there'll be three reviews for a movie, and all three of those people liked it, so it'll have, like, you know, an 8%. Because some of my favorite movies, there was one that came out last year called The House of the Devil that was a little under the radar that was, like, a very retro throwback to 80s cinema. Um, And that got, like, a 46% on Rotten Tomatoes, and it was phenomenal and then i looked around to other sites and it got rated very high on other sites so anyway i found this one they look like people that had a really interesting poster art whatever and so i looked it up on rotten tomatoes and it got an 88 percent which i've mentioned this before i don't like rotten tomatoes for critic reviews because it's usually just full of puns to kind of advertise their website and bring you to like their brand of humor but the user reviews, they're not gaining anything by leaving a review. They're Unless they were in the movie. True. Which I'm sure probably <laughs> happened with this. Best film of all time. Yeah. You must go see it. You can't you can't appreciate it just seeing it once. So um but yeah, so anyway, that's what that's what we chose. And I hope I hope that you've seen it. You're not gonna really get a, a good perspective because I'm not gonna summarize the whole movie for you, but basically there's this um guy in his mid to late 20s who's got no confidence listens to these self-help tapes um kind of like you are a mountain nobody can stop you put your mind to anything you can succeed sort of thing and he comes home from work and he runs into a friend and based on their interaction you get that they were like best friends this isn't just like some acquaintance this was a very 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 close friend and um his friend just kind of seems off and quite confident. He's a lot more confident than the other guy. But anyway, so he gets weird phone calls on this broken phone. Um, he thinks that the world is being overtaken by creatures who, to other people, look normal, which explains the title being They Look Like People. Uh, plus, too, with the way this movie works, uh, the the guy who thinks that all of these people are being replaced by evil creatures. His name's Wyatt. And he, like Jimmy said, runs into his friend Christian, who had been, it seems, a guy who, like Jimmy said, had no confidence or self-esteem and is now maybe on his way to being an alpha male, but he's not a raving douchebag. But it's really interesting because this movie focuses mostly on them. And then there's Mara, who's a third character who works with uh, Christian and what works the best out of everything I think in this film is the chemistry between those two main actors who portrayed Wyatt and Christian because if there hadn't been this movie would have failed miserably and been boring really. and been really boring there's um I'm I'm trying to sell this movie without giving spoilers but there's a really great scene where they it, he just seems like he might be a little the the friend, uh, the main guy who's listening to the self-help tapes invites his buddy to stay with him for a few days. And through a couple little clever conventions, you see that Christian blew off this date for him. And then like they went on this awkward double date. 
Anyway, so uh, they go to bed, and the guest gets a phone call on this smashed-up phone, and it's a very creepy, scream-like voice that tells him to go to the basement and basically says something along the lines of, we told you not to go into the city, we told you not to contact anybody that you love, and the director kind of throws you in into the... Uh, you have no idea what they're talking about, so... I don't know if I should really mention anything about mental health because that kind of gives uh, it away. But I would a- say it's something worth mentioning. Yeah. Because I, mean, I, I think the dynamic that this movie plays, you're involved with these two main characters mostly. And through a lot of the film, you're left wondering whether Wyatt is mentally unstable. And at parts, you think, well, Christian may be mentally unstable himself because you see that his it looks like it was maybe his ex-girlfriend ex-significant other like her things are in a box yeah you don't really know what happened with that and you wonder with his behaviors which the movie doesn't really pick a direction with his behaviors until later whether what he's doing is unhealthy i think that's what's most interesting about this film because without giving too much away you find out that there were traumatic things that happen to these characters, um, kind of fallouts that happen with both of them. So a lot of this movie kind of focuses on something that's not really a popular topic with, you know, you can call it a psychological drama or a horror film, but a lot of this movie focuses on like male frailties, like Mm -hmm. the male ego. And the reason that I enjoyed that part of it is because this movie within the first probably 10 or 15 minutes or actually reminded me a lot of another film that we reviewed. Do you know what that is? Babadook? Exactly. Like yeah. even the way that it the way that it looked, the way it framed like the supposed mental illness, the way it used um used shadows. I mean, one prevalent scene is a dream sequence where Wyatt's pretty much looking at uh, a woman and her face is completely shadowed and is kind of well, at least for me, it's creepy because, you know, I've watched too many probably crappy jump scare movies, not really enjoyed them. But with this movie, that's not really what it's about. It's really about creating uh, a slow burn, like a kind of a sense of dread, but then breaking it up with the camaraderie of Christian and Wyatt because they even um, they have like this scene where. It's just like old times again, and they're having fun, and you know they're dressed up and like they put cheats over themselves and bump into each other, and then they have a sock war. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Star Wars, the little Star Wars game they played with the lightsabers yeah. was cool. But yeah, I think sometimes movies that are, especially the more independent films, they try to accomplish too much, or they try to mimic too much of inspiration, and it just comes across cheesy. You know, like when when you show the monster. And all of a sudden, your budget is revealed, and and it's lost. Ben had a very legitimate criticism that this movie does almost the opposite, and they show too little. The slow burn is definitely true with this movie, but I think some movies, it's not intentional. And some might call it a slow burn, some might just call it boring. I think this movie is definitely an intentional slow burn, and they do they have some really twisted... Uh, dream sequences that the guest has. And so it gets to the point that every time you see the guest laying in bed and it's nighttime 
it's like a Pavlov dog sort of thing where you like pull yourself up in this in the couch and you're like, all right, what's about to happen? Because I know that something is about to happen. But yeah, so there's a scene with his doctor and you know, he's he's been medicated for something and so yeah, it, it becomes a a game of is this all in his head or is this not in his head? No. You've seen movies where both sides win. I've seen movies where you're at the end you're like, that really was happening. So he's like the guest Wyatt is preparing for something this whole movie. Um yeah, it totally it made me think of my best friend. Like the the way that they greet each other when they first see each other is very convincing. And I think the acting uh is is right on par. I would be shocked if these guys weren't friends in real life. Yeah. Not I mean there there is so much that was just natural to them. Mm-hmm. And uh the reason I mentioned earlier too that I thought maybe Christian would wind up being the crazy one, and maybe he does. I won't tell you. But um, with the the way he just looks up articles online, I thought maybe they were going to move him in like uh, Nightcrawler slash Woo Blue direction. <laughs> yeah. You know, they – they um, and once again, maybe they will. Who knows? Maybe they do. But one thing I had in my mind as a possible outcome was that Wyatt is a red herring and – Maybe what he's thinking about, which is these these, you know, monsters on Earth, them taking you know human form, that that was just a red herring, and that Christian's really the crazy one, and that he's gonna end up chopping white into pieces, which he might. He might be doing it right now. Um, and then the other reason that I that I like this movie is just because there's a lot of. Um, People who criticize film in Hollywood, there's, you know, comic book movies and reboots are kind of everywhere as far as mainstream cinema goes, which I don't have a problem with. But because of that, you'll hear a lot of people, you know, making open-ended comments like, oh, Hollywood doesn't make anything clever anymore. Like, Hollywood's run out of ideas or like, oh, uh, movies are all just remakes and sequels now. And... I feel like movies like they look like people are important because while this wasn't a mainstream movie and it I don't think it if it if it did get a theatrical release release it was very limited but it's a story that we've all kind of heard we've heard variations of this story but it was it was fun to watch it was written directed edited and the DP the cinematographer was all done by the same guy this guy named Perry Blackshear And this is his feature film debut. So I guess maybe some people would give him a little bit of forgiveness if it's not quite as cohesive as it should be or as it could be. Which it has the potential to be. One thing Jimmy Jimmy and I talked about. (laughs) I like Jimmy. Jimmy. One thing Jimmy and I talked about before the show is that this could have been a film that was cut down to maybe 55 minutes or 60 minutes or... It could have easily been an hour and a half. One of the problems of this film is you're left to, you know, connect the dots and figure out a lot of things on your own where it could be given more significance if there was a little bit more exposition about a couple of events like, you know, what happened with Wyatt and the relationship with his fiance, and the same thing with Christian and his girlfriend slash significant other. You don't really know. The movie hints at it and... I'm okay with being left in the dark, but then 
I also have more of a, of a buy-in to a movie like going back to a Babadook when you know you figure out that the fathers died. That makes a huge difference because if the mother in that film was just acting the way she acted and you didn't know the father died, that would definitely change your perception of her. You just say, oh, it's just this, you know, this crazy lady who uh, beats her son and this is terrible. And why is this monster showing up dressed as a magician? Mm-hmm. You know? So I think if if this film, which I, I really did enjoy watching it and it had me speculating and thinking about it after um so that's what they look like people did really really well it got me thinking a lot which a lot of modern films don't um if it had leveraged more time for exposition or maybe a little bit more history for both of the characters even mara i think she's very interesting but um they also do something with her that doesn't make a whole lot of sense because she has this one point which i won't give away where like everything seems fine with her and Christian. They work together and, you know, there's this possibility of a romantic relationship, but then there's this thing that happens and you think there was, there was no way that would probably happen because of a way she acted earlier in the film. Like she was acting positive about something and saying, Oh, you'll have good news about something. And then she does the exact opposite thing and it makes no sense. And it's so out of character for her because every other scene she's in, she seems like this really, um, bright personality and very sincere and warm. And then she acts the exact opposite of that in this certain scene. Yeah. Babadook. Yeah. I mean, the, the mental illness theme is there. I don't think it's as strong in Babadook. I talked to a lot of people who don't, you know, we, when we, we did Babadook a while ago and we, it's been out on Netflix long enough. So if you want to see it and you haven't seen it, I'm about to uh, spoil. Um, I don't, I don't think that the director intended for the viewer to think that there ever was a Babadook and the Babadook was kind of the symbolism for the boy's dad who died, the wife's husband who died and the way that they talk about the husband you know, he was he was a magician and basically painting a picture for what the Babadook should look like. And at the end of the movie, she doesn't kill the Babadook, but she locks it in the basement and feeds it. And a lot of people gave that movie a lot of uh, negative feedback because a lot of people just took it way too literally and they're like, why wouldn't you kill the monster? And because for those the people, monster that's is fine. Grief. Yeah, exactly. It's like, for those for those people, it's fine. I'm not calling you like lesser than I, but I mean, I, I do believe that that was supposed to represent like, she doesn't want to forget about the memory. She wants to like keep the memory alive and, and keep the memory of her husband alive. But it's, it's in the basement, it's under control. It's, you know, she's can, she's free to live her life. And I think that, uh, they look like people, the special effects are very sparse in this movie. Like we said, it's a slow burn but there's a lot of different personality types like horror movies and there's like the gore the gorephobes that don't want to see any blood there's the people who gore like, hounds gore right, fiends exactly. who want to see somebody's head being split open exactly, by a like hammer exactly like the saw the saw fans and i Peter love Jackson's the build up film yeah exactly films i should say because bad like bad taste and dead alive yeah and those are like their own subset well i guess that's cult classic but horror nonetheless um but yeah so i love the suspense and i love the build-up 
and I love the possibility of what could be, you know, like that was one of the reasons I really liked the Blair Witch Project. And I still say that the Mothman Prophecies is one of the scariest movies I've ever seen. Not because they show any grisly images, but just because of the way that they handle scenes. And, um, but anyway, yeah, some of the dream sequences in this movie. I feel like there's a lot of movies that the more into film and the cinematic elements of film and like the technical aspects, like the cinematography and stuff, when you watch a movie that is lit the way that this is, you can kind of get the idea that this director was probably a cinematographer turned director because um, Ben made the joke that it's like ultimate indie, indie hipster, and it totally is. But um, that's not necessarily a bad thing because it's, it's lit really well. The same thing with um, Nightcrawler. That was another cinematographer turned director. And- Which makes sense because you talk about, uh, you talk about Nightcrawler, and I know you love the way It Follows looked. This movie was similar, and it probably is because this person was a cinematographer turned director, but with movies that look like this, it's like you could take each frame and literally frame it. Like, you could put it as a picture on a wall somewhere, mm-hmm. and that's what these movies, like, that's the kind of aesthetic they go for, which I, I really liked the way um, this movie looked. Yeah. Like, uh, sometimes you just watch a movie where, you know... Uh, the director can put a camera in a certain spot and that'll tell a different story. That'll show, that'll show things from a different perspective. And the, the camera work and the lighting kind of tells the story all on its own too. Um, well, it goes along with the overall story. But anyway, so the dream sequences are really great and um, they don't... It's, it's one of those horror movies where they show you the the shadowy figure and they get a little bit closer and a little bit closer and you start squinting your eyes and you're like holy crap what am i looking at and then it just and then it and then it and then it ends and some people hate that cuz they're like oh god i i wanted to see it and while i wanted to see it too the suspense that i felt while i was squinting my eyes is still very real and like the journey was real getting there and the ending I thought was interesting. It wasn't quite what I was expecting. I think some people will absolutely hate it, like they hated the ending to Babadook without yeah. much way. Which, by the way, you made a made a great point about what people want, especially for horror films. I think a lot of people, in general, who watch a lot of movies, some of them take everything they see very literally. Mm-hmm. I took this movie very symbolically because, well, going back to the Babadook. Um, Wyatt, when he's preparing for this potential takeover of mankind, where is he actually preparing the basement? So you think of the basement, you can almost think of the building he's in as levels of the mind. And this is just one reading of it, but he has the basement and then there's maybe the apartment where he and Christian are living. And then there's also a pivotal scene where he's on the roof yeah there's a pivotal scene where he's on the roof and he's thinking about doing something destructive <laughs> this is really hard to be yeah free. yeah it's hard to be spoiler free but let's just say he's thinking about doing something very destructive but he doesn't do it so you can almost split these different levels as you know 
um, parts of his mind, as different parts of rationality, because when he's in the basement, he doesn't seem to be as in control. He seems to be losing it, Mm -hmm. and that comes into play a little bit later, because, you know, if there's a basement in a horror film, I mean, something bad's gonna happen. Yeah. Uh, So that's another parallel. One other film that I thought of when I was watching this, and maybe it was because of the the voice that was on most of the the voicemails for Wyatt was Session Nine. I still haven't seen that because they oh. never put it on Netflix. Oh, <clears throat> well, I need to just buy. It. I need to just rent it. So that film, pay the two ninety nine and rent it. That film has another setup where you're wondering whether there's something supernatural at play, and there's also uh, a character. I think you could probably consider him the main character who is definitely, it, it seems like having a, a mental breakdown of sorts. Plus, with that movie, there's uh, a recording of a patient because the the premise of Session 9 is that these men are coming in and cleaning out an old uh, mental institute, an insane asylum. I think they're getting rid of asbestos, maybe. And they find these really creepy recordings. It's this girl, and I think she killed her entire family, and she'll speak in different voices. Like she'll speak in what's supposed to be a little boy's voice, a little girl's voice. And then there's Simon. It's like a really, really deep voice. Mm-hmm. And it jumps between those voices. And it's really creepy. So that's probably one of the main things that made me think I of would, Session 9 I'm when I watched sure it. I'm sure I would love it then. That was there, – there's a scene. So he gets these really creepy phone calls and we get trained um, by this movie – we get trained that every time uh, it's nighttime, something creepy is about to happen. Uh, sometime, every time the phone rings, um, something creepy is about to happen. And Buzzing of insects. Yeah, t- yeah, that's what I was going to mention. So there's like a weird uh, buzzing of bees that he hears when you assume he's having some sort of like mental disconnect or I don't know, but he's talking on the phone about halfway through the movie. And this was probably the scene that I thought was the most effective. He's talking on the phone and the voice always tells him to go into the basement. And so he goes into the basement and he usually gets perfect service in the basement and he's walking around and the voice starts cutting out and it's, it's like, you're cutting out. I think there's someone in the basement and then the light turns off and I mean, it's such a classic horror trope to, like, be in a creepy basement. And then, oh, no, the light turns off. I mean, there's so many setups in this movie that are so cliche that we've seen them before. Um, And I just, I thought that was a really good scene. I think one thing they, they miss out on, and this goes back to exposition, especially with Wyatt's character and our investment as a viewer in him. So... When I heard the buzzing, I wasn't really sure if it was just a specific insect or something else. But I think one of the more effective scenes, um, there's one of the voicemails, but it's not focusing on Wyatt. It's almost like a montage. But I I don't think I typed all this out because I usually take notes during movies. But it's this message explaining these monsters And it says, they were at Jericho, they were at Golgotha, that is a demon, 
that is not a human, that is a monster, that is your enemy, and that is what you must be ready to destroy. So I thought to myself, okay, maybe that buzzing is flies, like Lord of the Flies, like Mm -hmm. Satan. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really want this to turn into an okay, everybody's possessed film, but I almost think like if they had somehow worked in something catastrophic with organized religion involved or you know, made somebody in White's family like a religious fanatic, maybe not like to the extent of um, Carrie's mother mm-hmm. uh, in Carrie. Right, right. But maybe, the, and that's, that's I think, where this, this movie kind of misses out, where it could really have a greater impact because these lines really stand out and the way they're delivered in the movie are great, like referencing Jericho and Golgotha and their demons, but then you say, okay, this is all filtered through Wyatt. Like, he's the one we're watching, and we're going to see how he reacts to this, but we don't really know why he's reacting that way. Uh, The same thing goes with his, I think it's ex-fiance, or current fiance, we don't really know either. If they had more references to what happened with her, we might be, you know, better suited to say, okay, so now I know why he's doing this. I know why he's doing that. I know why he's having possibly a complete mental breakdown right mm-hmm. now. Yeah, I want to. Um, I want to talk about the ending because if you haven't seen the movie at this point, probably just stop listening because the ending was uh, impactful enough on me to have a big effect on my overall takeaway of the movie. So we realize by. And this is a really short movie, too. I don't know if you know. I, you, I think you already mentioned that it's like 80 minutes. Yeah, it's really short. So um, our the guest is having a complete mental breakdown. He thinks that he he messes up the relationship between Christian and this girl. He goes to try to fix it. This girl's face gets contorted. Um, and then it, that scene ends. We find out later that he killed her. Well, I think, right? I mean, that's that's hard to say. There, there's a lot that's he kind said, of left up to you. Like he's, it, it, he made it sound like the when she said, "All right." So he goes back. Um, his best friend says something along the lines of, "Are you seeing them again?" And so you you see how far back their friendship goes. And so he asks what happened to this girl and what he saw, and what he describes to his friend is not what he saw. So that could mean that. He just doesn't want to. He doesn't want to be vulnerable, or it could be as severe as he killed her. But he's he's to the point of this mental breakdown that he's capable of hurting people, and this voice is telling him to tie his best friend up. Um, he puts a bag over his head. He puts a sock in his friend's mouth. Um, but I think the reason that's so compelling is because. And this is this is my takeaway too. This is what this is why I love this movie because it's definitely not a clear cut ending. Um, but I've been wanting to get Ben's opinion all week, so I took it to mean that his friend was kind of letting him work through these demons, like hoping that he was going to make the right decision and not kill him. Because he like takes his friend to the basement, ties him up, put a bag, put puts a bag on his head, um, and he's like holding a bottle of sulfuric um, acid. Sulfuric acid, because he's told that's what kills the demons. So then you see the bag start to contort and tear, you know, and of course you don't know if you're seeing it from his perspective. And at this point, this demonic invasion could still be happening. And so he's holding this 
sulfuric acid up and like as a viewer i didn't know really what i wanted him to do i was like i don't know man it could go either way still and he finally takes off the bag and his friend is fine he's just terrified so i took that to mean that his friend loves him so much that he's willing to like potentially sacrifice his own life to like help his friend work through his demons and like see the truth did you did you kind of get something different? Well, I'll back up a step too. I don't think he killed Mara, and I think that's because one of the supposed rules for a demon being able to take you over is if uh, like a person who's infected by one looks you in the eyes. That's supposed to be a way that they infect you. And um, one of the close to end scenes, it's when. Mara's eyes changed color. And <gasps> there was like a, a pool wasn't that of, crazy? Yeah, there was like a pool of blood around her fingers. But I think what really happened because why it does lie a decent amount throughout the film is that he lied about what he saw. I don't think he looked because he's been too scared. Mm-hmm. Uh, he says, "Then her head split in two, and there was this thing there. It's what I thought they were all along." The only thing is, like using that quote. And then what happened in the next scene with uh, with Christian is that he puts a bag over Christian's head and seems to be scared of what's emerging. Mm-hmm. So I think he lied about Mara and that he just ran away. Mm-hmm. Like that's one thing I think he didn't lie about because I think he does says that say that too. He said, "Oh, I saw you know what they really are, but I didn't hurt her. I just ran away." Mm-hmm. And if uh, I can. You know, give another spoiler, there's the scene I was referencing earlier where he's about to do something destructive. He has a nail gun and he's on the roof and he's pointing the nail gun down at people who would probably be about two stories below. And you think, wow, this could end really badly, but he, Wyatt just doesn't, he doesn't shoot anyone. He just exits the roof. Like throughout the whole film, he probably gets closer to hurting himself than anyone else Mm -hmm. because he puts the nail gun in his mouth. Yeah, that's right. So I think that is what drives the film home is that he's struggled probably with mental illness a decent part of his life, if not his whole life, and that his friend Christian, who we may think during other parts of the film might be more like a a Lou Bloom character trying to be an alpha male, you know, um, with Christian, it's lifting weights and listening to this repeated message, which that's a reveal too. There's a little detail that you hear and it gives away the meaning of that. But you think that Christian could actually be a demon or doing something like manipulating white in some way, because he's just, Oh, Hey, why don't you stay here? Which ends badly in most horror films. Mm -hmm. But you find out that, Christian actually is a pretty good guy and that he probably needs Wyatt and that they need each other because of the struggles that they're going through. Mm. Yeah, it's it's one of those movies where you, you realize not long into the meat and potatoes of the movie that, yes, he is mentally sick and you start hearing these bees, but because of the way it's shot and because of the performances of these actors, it's still, you know, some sometimes you'll have a similar setup and the the resolve is, oh, he was just crazy the whole time. It's not really one of those movies because there's a lot more, you know, we mentioned the acting. If these performances were not convincing, I think this movie would have come across as a lot more of the word boring. Yeah. 
but it's like it's a it's a movie for people who love to study and look at actors performances you know there's certain movies where whether their acting is good or bad it doesn't matter you know like a summer summer blockbuster or whatever it it could care less adam sandler movies yeah the do-over god the cobbler every time i see that i wish on netflix there was a way to remove movies that i know i'll never watch yeah that would be awesome that'll probably be one of the next steps because i i think customization like that even with netflix is the way of the future but yeah, uh, with this this film, there were some things that I really liked about it, and one of the things that I I didn't like, which I explained, was that given the way the film ends, if they had they didn't obviously they wouldn't need to do a flashback because that really wouldn't make sense in the context of this film. I don't think, and there's such a, a short running time, just have a short conversation between Wyatt and Christian that maybe explains a little bit more mm-hmm. because if I give away, I'll just give away the spoiler about Christian. Well, you find out that, so there's, there's this box and there are clothes in the box boxes. It just says cat K A T not like, you know, meow cat, like a woman named cat. And you find out um, later in the film that the message that, Christian's been listening to was recorded by Kat and that she was pregnant with his child. But you don't find out mm-hmm. what happened with their relationship. It's like, oh, did she run out and that's the reason why he, you know, lifts weights like he does, that he tries to dominate, you know, everything that he does in his life. You don't really know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, part of me wants to know. I think it would maybe make me uh, appreciate and and be more attached to that character. And then part of me is also like, it doesn't really matter. I mean, it, it, it's, if it's, you know, there's certain directors who only give you what you need to know about the story. Like Paul Thomas Anderson, who, uh, did, there's a movie called punch drunk love that a lot of people hate because there's not a lot of dialogue and he doesn't give you anything that you don't need. And, uh, some people think that's kind of a weakness because a lot of people think that movie's boring. Have you ever seen that movie? No. I really liked it. Well, Adam Sandler. It did remind me of uh, It Follows a lot, but it wasn't. There's. Uh, I don't really know what movie started it. I know that the movie Drive with Ryan Gosling, um, it was a very heavy synthesizer soundtrack, and it was a lot of neon and a lot of um, just kind of retro 80s chic, and it's kind of gone into the horror genre now and there's a lot of movies that if you didn't know any better you would watch like uh i love to mention the house of the devil because it was like the love letter to Wes craven but if you didn't know better you would think that this movie was from the 80s this one house of the devil because you know it's all washed out it's got a lot of um pastels there's a lot of filters that the camera has that makes it look old and there's a lot of just zoom shots. There's not like fancy camera rigs and equipment. It's just like, turn the camera, zoom, turn the camera, zoom, turn the camera, zoom. And um, I like that. But I don't, wanna, I don't want every horror film that comes out to be that because then I'm not going to care about it anymore. And this, with, one, and this one wasn't. This one was its own thing. Plus with It Follows, it's about you know people getting infected. So there's kind of a parallel there because with... You know, they look like people. I guess you could say, in a way, 
this is almost like a possession or infection of some sort. I think yeah. that he does use the word infect. Yeah, I think so too. It's, it's interesting too because looking at it from a psychological aspect, I'll see if I can find it. Oh, so there's this meeting Jimmy was talking about between Wyatt and a doctor. It might be, you know his doctor in general who's been treating him. We don't really know, but the doctor says, oh, I'll back, I'll back up one quote. Um, Wyatt says, I don't think I'm schizophrenic. And he mm-hmm. kind of rationalizes it. But it seems like he's trying to convince himself. Then maybe this is a good way to summarize the film and how it treats the relationships between characters who are on the screen and characters who are off the screen. But then the doctor says, did you ever have a long-term relationship that didn't wind up letting you down? So it's almost like with Wyatt, if you want to look at what's happening to him, it may be a form of mental illness. But if you want to apply that quote, and it, it, I think to me it does hold up, it seems like once things turn south for him in you know, relationships. It's almost like this delusion of people being demons will pop up and he'll run away from that person once they start letting him down to almost protect himself. Because I mentioned earlier that Mara has kind of a change of character. There's a scene where she and Christian are in this whispering room that looks kind of like a a recording booth. Yeah, that was weird. Which is kind of weird. And she's like, oh, you'll have really good news on Friday. And Christian's like, yeah, cool. Well, it turns out that Christian is fired from his job because Mara is his boss. So you're like, where did that come from? But then Wyatt finds out, obviously, that Christian got fired. And he obviously knows that Mara did it. So, you know, he tries to make things... Oh, I almost forgot. So Mara comes over to their apartment after the firing with this bottle of peach schnapps that was, you know, tied to an earlier scene. And for some reason, oh, Christian goes out to get tea. Yeah, that was really dumb. Which was, that That made no sense. sense. They're like, we need a scene where these two are going to be alone together. Let's send them out for fucking tea. And then Wyatt says to Mara, (laughs) do you want to go on the roof or, you know, see the basement? And she was like, sure. So obviously Wyatt's going to freak out on Mara. She leaves and then she's the next person that he sees as a demon, even though he sees her normal after she punches him in the throat. Yeah. Which that's that's another thing too. It's like, are there there specific rules or are they being, you know, ambiguous on purpose? So we speculated what the rules are for yeah. his, you, you, you can call it um, a mental illness or his delusion. Like what makes it so that he sees people yeah. as demons? Can or he just like change his mind and be like, well, I thought you were normal, but now I think you're a demon. Yeah. But I like that nobody's ever going to, Ask for a sequel to this movie. We we talk about, you know, and they look like people not knowing a whole lot. It's but an then, awesome title, too, by the yeah, way. I love it. You could also go overboard and try to explain everything to death mm-hmm. and just beat people over the head and have them not read into anything and think, which that's what this movie did the best, I think, out of everything it tried to accomplish you know, if I'm thinking about the movie after it's finished, well, after it's finished, and I'm, you know, thinking I maybe I need to watch this again, maybe there's something that I missed because I only had time to watch it once, then the movie's done its job, mm-hmm. especially because I don't watch a whole lot of movies more than once. But this one, I'll definitely watch it again 
because there there may be hidden clues. I don't know. Maybe everything that we're saying is is you know what this movie is really about and is just meant for speculation. And I would say it's it's pretty safe in saying this movie is pretty content with not giving us all the answers because if we're looking at this through the filter of the characters and the trauma they've had, they're themselves looking for hand answers. So we probably should be too. Mm-hmm. Will we find them? I don't know. We can speculate, but yeah. we probably won't. No, that's a good point because if they do, you know, if all these questions are asked and they give answers to everything and they give us all the rules, you face the scenario of like the audience not liking the rules and not liking the movie just because, you know, I, I don't like the way that you concretely defined this. Like the ending, um, once everything is said and done and he like hugs him and embraces him and says like you're safe now that you've embraced or that you've faced death, whatever. I think at that point it becomes pretty clear. But yeah, even when he's holding up the sulfuric acid to Christian and you've learned so much about these characters, you th- well, you think you do, they've still been able to tell the story in a way that you don't, you still don't know everything. You're still guessing. You're still not sure. I mean, he could have poured the acetone on him. He could have taken it off and uh, th- the invasion was real. It was true. And he was right. And so I don't know. I just I I like I like the movie that a movie that makes me think instead of necessarily just full of jump scares. It was all a dream. Well, it's what? interesting too because with the way things played out, I almost get the sense that almost this exact same scenario had happened and Christian knew, which is why he didn't really react, you know, like he was absolutely terrified i think most people would have fled or mm-hmm. called the authorities but you almost get the sense that even if it wasn't you know oh hey demons are taking over the bo- the bodies of people that you know Wyatt had had some kind of delusion before maybe not on this scale but mm-hmm. something like this so the reason that christian played along was that um so he could diffuse it you know there might have been a similar situation before maybe that was why they had a falling out and maybe he handled it differently the time before, because I know there's the the basketball game scene. There's a scene where Wyatt and Christian play basketball, mm-hmm. and Wyatt keeps asking if something scary happens, will you have my back? If someone you know drew a gun, would you like get in front of me? You know, and obviously Christian and his you know mindset says, well, of course I would, because he's you know you, they're still portraying him as being this guy who's maybe overcompensating for some of his past failures, and. I think that works pretty well with what happens because essentially that's what Christian does. It's not a gun, but he almost has sulfuric acid poured on his face. Yeah, he mm-hmm. did, I guess, metaphorically take a bullet for his friend. But I think, too, uh, like with the negative reviews, you nailed it, Jimmy, in saying that uh, a lot of people who, who don't like this film don't like it because they, they call it boring. They don't think there is anything like moving the plot, so to speak, forward and they say, oh, it's just a bunch of people, you know, sitting around, and what do these dreams even mean? I think it's just, you know, going back to different people look for different things in, in movies, especially horror films. They're like, oh, what's so what's so scary about, you know, somebody's face being in shadows? Well, different things scare different people, yeah, right. too. Like, some, I think you were, you were saying, um, was it you who was saying that you went back and you watched The Exorcist? 
and yeah you didn't really find it to be all that scary which i can completely understand i, I liked it it was i mean yeah it was filmed really well but and that might be another one and that's in somebody's memory they're like i remember watching that when i was 10 and being terrified yeah i bet you were terrified at 10 and i'm not like criticizing the movie there's a lot of great things about it um uh, but yeah if i think if you if you if you hated this movie because you thought it was totally boring i totally get it I'm totally sympathetic to your situation. It's definitely uh, a slow burn of a film. And um, I, I know one thing I need to do is maybe dive more into modern horror because I know I'm just so cynical a lot of times of all these movies that come out. It's like, oh, this entire movie takes place on, you know, Skype. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking the next... The is, it's like, all right, let's make a movie and expose that. Snapchat horror film. <laughs> there, There is. There's, um, it's called uh, The Den. It's on Netflix. But if you, that's the thing though. If you do something right, and I was having this conversation uh, yesterday, but it was about marketing and using the right channel the way it's intended to be used. If you can use anything from the visual spectrum well as film history has taught us like the people who go out there and defy expectations and norms and aren't in it just to capitalize on a trend Mm -hmm. then you can have something you can have something substantial there but if it's just like oh hey look it's snapchat and it's a movie don't you want to go see it your friends like it oh a cat jumps out of a garbage can wasn't that scary yeah 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 (laughs) yeah Someone's like, this is it. Snapchat's A, horror movie is B, equals C. Go C, C. C equals cash money. Oh, man. Which, uh, they look like people is definitely not that. Uh-uh. It's definitely, when you look at it on paper, like the premise and everything, it's not following really any trends in horror, which trends in horror are kind of up in the air right now. They're... You know, the usual parade of remakes, you know, still jump scare heavy, still some found footage, which doesn't seem like there are as many yeah, now. It's, it's kind of like dying out. I don't know. I feel like it kind of rotates between like demon and uh, humans as like, you know, the main antagonist, supernatural and not supernatural. It seems like there's really no big trend in horror right now. No, I th- yeah, I think I think you're right. Clowns need to make a comeback. Well, I mean, the the reboot of It seems to be back on track. And I think they're still going to go with the format, which is interesting. Uh, they're going to release one movie that is set in the past and then one that's set more toward present times. Uh, definitely not the narrative structure of the book. Mm-hmm. Either so, okay who knows? That. Stephen King's going to laugh with a bunch of money. Mm-hmm. So I bet he doesn't care. He's probably already been paid. I don't know if he gets a share of box office returns, but they might pay him a huge upfront if they didn't if they didn't already own the film rights because it was what it was a TV movie first. Yeah. Now it's going to be a proper. Well, as long film. as I as long as I get to keep my two VHS box set, I'm happy. Uh, do you have any idea what you want to do? I do. And you it's, do? It's definitely out of character for me. This is one of those things I was thinking Ste- about. Steel Magnolias. No, I had a conversation with Anna about this because we were at a show a couple of weeks ago. Who is there? It was uh, Tabby and the Cats. and Tabby Golden and the Fleece, Cats, Jeremy um, David Baker, the Dirty Jeremy Gentleman. Dirty Gentleman. Uh, she brought up 
I think, going to see Rent. And I said, oh, we just went to see the um, Peoria Players do Hairspray. Hairspray is my choice. All right. I'm down. Yeah, this would be the, what? Our the record... John Travolta one or the... No, no, not the 2012 the one. one. The okay. original one. The John Waters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Original Hairspray. Okay. You... Yeah, definitely not the John Travolta one. Yeah. Kind of weird, but I... Yeah. John Travolta and drag, yeah. So this would be what? Our second musical, if you count Tommy? Uh, This is Spinal Tap? Nah, this is Spinal Tap. It's more I like a mockumentary. Count. Yeah, all right. I'm down. That's cool. I bet we can recruit somebody. With all of our musical theater gay friends. Yeah. Even if you're straight, I mean... Yeah. Straight, gay... We'd prefer gay, but whatever. Straight's fine. You got anything else? Any more closing words? No, I I, I think overall, when it comes to directorial debuts, this was a pretty solid one because there were a lot of things that they look like people could have gotten wrong. They could have, you know, gone the route of... Oh, yep, they're definitely uh, demons, and Christian's a demon, and then White gets his face eaten off, or they could have over-explained things. Yes, it would have been good to have more exposition, but overall, um, They Look Like People is a really good-looking film, uh, really great chemistry between the two leads. I really hope that they get more projects together or separately, and I would highly encourage it to anyone who likes some of the movies we mentioned, uh, even Nightcrawler, you know, uh, Session 9 or The Babadook, especially The Babadook. If you liked that movie and the way it dealt with things symbolically and the way it handled um, mental issues and grief, then you'll probably like this one too. And if you hated The Babadook, you probably won't like this. You're probably going to hate this too. Yeah. No, I'm always I'm always down to watch and appreciate uh, a small independent labor of love that's unique and different and um then you add a, a good story on top of it and it's another good example of story versus plot and you'll read like a three sentence plot of this movie and it's not going to sound interesting i promise you no but this the story is the journey and and the character's backstory and the relationships and what's implied versus what's shown and um, yeah, I, I thought it was good. It wasn't amazing. It was definitely one that I feel like if I watched it again, I would like it less. But it was good. I'll recommend it. Plus to watch it just for the creepy voicemails because I I typed out a few of them because, like I said, I take notes during uh, most of the films that we do. But one of the voicemails comes from Wyatt's. I don't know, ex-fiance, ex-wife, ex-significant other, whatever. I think her name's Hannah. And it was just so creepy. It's, you're too late, soft boy. You can't fight us. We eat the soft ones, and you are the softest ones. So many people did so little to stop us. I love you, Wyatt. Yeah. So if you're into that kind of... WTF, mate. Yeah, if you're into stuff like that that completely throws you off and you're comfortable with being thrown off, then dive right into this one. Yeah. Not quite a mind fuck, but rapidly approaching. Uh, so next week we're going to be doing hairspray. So that's fun. So uh, you can catch us every Tuesday on 90.7 FM, supporting community radio in Peoria, Illinois. And we also have a new SoundCloud page that we're putting up some uh, older archived episodes. Um only the good ones. Only the good ones. Only the pure gold. 
I think the worst was 90s movies because that was about four hours long. I wasn't on that one, but you yeah. told me about it just like jumping from one point to another. Like, that's the thing. Like, if you tried to cover an entire decade of anything, music, film, art, whatever, unless you focus on maybe, let's say if it's film, two directors and a handful of their movies – it's probably going to be like, oh, hey, uh, do you remember the third Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movie? Now, yeah. let me tell you about that one. <laughs> so you can get a hold of us through the Facebook page as well at Movie Show Theater. So until next Tuesday, I'm Jimmy Malone. I am Ben Snowden. And this is Show Theater. Of movies. <laughs> this is Movie Show Theater. Movie Show Theater! <laughs> <laughs>